Hi, everyone. We're conducting an audience survey, and we'd be really grateful if you could take just a few minutes and answer a few questions. Please visit survey.prx.org happiness to take the survey today. That's survey.prx.org happiness. Thank you. The Science of Happiness is brought to you by Progressive, one of the country's leading providers of auto insurance. With Progressive's Name Your Price tool, you say what kind of coverage you're looking for and how much you want to pay, and Progressive will help you find options that fit within your budget. Use the Name Your Price tool and start an online quote today at Progressive.com. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So... I am a high school student. I'm a senior in high school. And right now is like college application crunch time. And so with that also comes like a lot of tests and essay deadlines and everything's trying to get crammed in before we all leave school. And amidst all that, there was one phone call that I just completely missed, like completely slipped my mind. I was working on something else. My phone was on silent. I didn't see it ring. and. I didn't realize until about an hour later and it was too late and there was just nothing I could do. And I was, I felt super helpless because I can't go back in time now. And I also felt really, really guilty because I've always been somebody that prides themselves on reliability. And also I really hate getting canceled on. And so I felt like this kind of guilt for hypothetically having, you know, ruined someone's day or like messed up someone else's schedule like sweat tingling in my back and like physically like this intense discomfort and like this kind of nervousness that kind of went into the rest of my day. This feeling that whatever else I could do right in this day, I still, you know, messed up this one thing and there's like nothing I can do that will undo that. He's in the thick of college applications feeling a lot of pressure and he's not alone. Samuel Gatacho is a 17-year-old high school student and the 2019 Youth Poet Laureate of Oakland, California. We know from representative survey work that stress is on the rise for all Americans. And his generation, which is working harder than past generations, reports experiencing more anxiety and depression than any other age group. There are heightened academic demands, the difficulties of getting into college are greater. It's just a hard time for young people. When we asked Samuel to choose from one of our practices to bring more happiness into his life, he chose one that would help him reduce his stress by being kinder to himself. And as many of you probably know, that can be especially tricky for people like Samuel who have high expectations and have a lot going on. Samuel, thanks for joining us on The Science of Happiness. Thank you for having me. So before we get into the happiness practice that you chose, I have to know, what in the world do you do as a 17-year-old poet laureate in your city? So the way I kind of like to think of it is that I'm kind of like the representative of Oakland poetry. And so that can mean a lot of different things. That can mean like, for example, like I just applied for National Youth Poet Laureate. I've gotten a few invitations to visit some elementary school students and like perform for them and then talk to them and answer all their questions. And so that's been super fun. For me, the the really rewarding part of doing those visits is to show them that Poetry can be this, like, living, breathing, relevant thing. Yeah. So, Samuel, the poem Lake that won you the 2019 Oakland Youth Laureate Award is really relevant to our times of heightened racial tensions and police brutality. Part of the poem is about a 911 call that went viral of a white woman calling police on a black family having a barbecue at a park in Oakland. 
Can you read part of that poem that you wrote in response to that police call? Sure, sure. It is May of 2018, and I watch from my phone screen as a white woman tries to 911 call a black body into ghost where he stands, knowing how a badge and a gun will protect her from the consequence of her own tongue, knowing how a siren will strike familiar fear into black heart and cause not in spite of but because of this, knowing that this city was too used to swallowing our bones into the pavement, knowing that these gutters are fiends for black blood and calls upon what she believes to be the blue angel of death to feed the lake yet another black corpse and still. There will be more to take after the funeral, and she knows this too. White tears stream out her eyes like an offering to the crows. Temptation before she calls out the feeding cry. Yells out harassment like the wolf who cried sheep because she knew the rest of the pack was right behind her waiting. Closes her eyes waits for the vultures to come. We posted you reciting the entire poem on our website. It's it's really moving, and I urge our listeners to check it out. Thank you. Thank you for sharing, Samuel. I'd like to turn now to the happiness practice you chose, which is called How Would You Treat a Friend? It was developed by psychologist Kristen Neff, whom we'll hear from later in the show. Why did you choose this exercise? I feel like sometimes... I don't afford myself like nearly as much sympathy as I as I do for other people. I think a lot of people who are just hard workers in general or like perfectionists tend to be really, really hypercritical of themselves. I yep. think like in a way it's like driven me to be able to like accomplish a lot because I'm always kind of like trying to compete with myself and trying to be better. But right. along with that, I sometimes forget to be kind to myself yeah. or to like congratulate myself. Can you walk us through the practice? Yeah. So first, you should start to think about like times when a really close friend of yours is struggling in some way or feels bad about themselves. And think about the way that if you are at your best, you would respond to that friend and maybe write down what you typically would do or say and make sure to note the tone in which you would say these things. Did a specific instance come to mind or? For me, I mean, I'm in school, so (laughs) I... And I'm in a lot of competitive classes, and so I'm constantly around a lot of kids who are, like, maybe not so used to not getting all A's all the time. Having nervous breakdowns. Yeah. we. I think my generation is, like, exceptionally stressed out. Yes. (laughs) So a lot of, like, my friends and stuff will beat themselves up about bad grades or even good grades that just aren't perfect, which I think is a difference in language that's important that we need to start noting more. But I think... For me, like, I'm constantly around that kind of self-criticism. And when it comes to my friends going through that or feeling bad about themselves because of, like, school-related things, I tend to be really good at, like, tearing it apart and being like, this is an arbitrary number. Like, it doesn't matter. You're so much more. Like, I'm I'm very good at that. Not so great about it with myself. Ah. Then what happens in the practice? So now think about times when you feel bad about yourself or are struggling and... Think about the ways that you respond to yourself in those situations. And again, maybe write down what you typically do or say and pay a little more attention to the tone in which you talk to yourself. And so for me, there's like a perfect example for this. Last week, I got like a 67% on a calculus test and instantly got it back, took one look at it and was like, okay, I guess I'm just never going to learn again. I guess I don't, (laughs) I guess I'm worthless, like bad at school, just doesn't matter. Um... And so for me, like, that was the moment when I had to, like, stop and be like, okay, like, let me notice the ways that I'm I'm treating myself right now. And 
This brings us into the next step. Do you notice a difference between the way that you respond to your friend versus the way that you respond to yourself? And ask yourself why and what factors or fears come into play that would lead you to treat yourself versus others so differently. And so for me, the way that I would respond to my friend getting a bad calculus grade is just like so totally like nonchalant, like it's okay, like it doesn't matter. It's just one of many tests. Like it's going to be fine. Like your grade will be fine. Your life will be fine. You're, you know, you're going to have like my one of my teachers, Miss Joe, always tells us when we're like particularly stressed out about like college or school or homework or a test or something. She always says, don't worry, you're going to have beautiful children. <laughs> In the grand scheme of things, like everything will be OK. Like this test is not the end of your life. But I get this test back and my immediate reaction. It's over. It's like it's over. I'm stupid. I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't be in this class. I knew I wouldn't be able to handle multiple AP classes. Like, I shouldn't have done this. I mean, that's the striking thing about this exercise is, like, you kind of get a sense of how you comfort a friend. Yeah. And then you hear the voice of how you treat yourself. What do you notice about that difference? The voice that I treat myself with is so much less patient. Hmm. That was one thing that struck me is, like, so much less patient even for the emotion of frustration. Wow. Because, like, the way that I reacted to my own negative emotions was like first you know all of the the self-criticism of like oh my god i'm stupid i shouldn't be in this class like i should have studied i don't know what's wrong with me but then there is like the second reaction which was like a response to the first one which was kind of like you're making such a big deal out of this like shut up like it's fine you don't need to be like that right right which is in a way minimizing the way that I felt to begin with. And yeah. and I, that's super different from how I would treat my friends because, like, yeah. one thing that I'm always super conscious of not wanting to do when I'm comforting one of my friends is, like, yes, you know, what you're feeling might be a little bit too hypercritical or it might be somewhat of an overreaction, but that doesn't mean that yeah. these feelings are invalid. Like, I don't... You yeah. know, it's human, exactly. And I don't want to come in and be like, you have no right to feel this way because that's never comforting for anyone to hear. And so I thought that difference was, like, super interesting where I was, like... I had so much less patience even for the validity of my own emotions that I don't seem to have like a problem with when it comes to my friends. And then what do you do? And then you write down how you think things might change if you responded to yourself the way that you typically respond to a friend when you're suffering. And I think giving myself especially that patience, which is what I tried to do in this situation, I Mm kind of had to stop a second time. And be like, okay, it's fine that you feel this way. What are we going to do? That's like another thing that I always try to do with my friends is I always try to be like, okay, like, yes, this is frustrating. Yes, this is hard. What can we do? And so I was kind of like, okay, like, so what can I do? And that was so much more productive because I didn't realize how much time I actually waste. Yeah on like that first step of frustration. And then again, on that second step of like, oh, you have no right to feel this way. I'd be a lot more productive and a lot more happy. Yeah. Because I think it it also like kind of forced me to contextualize the situation. Yeah, absolutely. Like I've gotten A's on almost every test so far this year. Like that's something to celebrate, but it wasn't something that I was particularly proud of until yeah. I like stopped to think about it. Yep. And so like giving myself the space to like both validate my emotions and then also be a little bit more proactive about how I looked at it and then put it in the context of the rest of the situation like I started to be like a little bit happier about myself as a student which without this process might seem like a strange reaction to have to a D on a test (laughs) but I think I I, it made me realize that I had a lot more to be grateful for than I did to be frustrated about 
you've talked about how this kind of self-compassion practice, you know, maybe makes you more productive in your life. And you care a lot about that right now. And it makes you kinder to your friends and family. How do you think that works? How is it that just turning this voice you give to your friends upon yourself has these benefits? I think we all work better when we're not frustrated about something. And so if I'm so busy thinking about a mistake that I made an hour ago or a week ago or a month ago, it's really hard to focus on what's actually still going on and what I can do. And I think in general, you know, allowing yourself to forgive yourself for mistakes helps you to be more present in general. And then in regards to being kinder to family and friends and just being a better friend and a better son, I think when I'm frustrated with myself, it shows and I just tend to be less patient with everyone around me because I'm already, you know, stuck in this impatience with myself. And then that also goes back to being present and being able to actually spend time with people and being able to actually enjoy someone's company in a way that I can't necessarily do if I'm so busy thinking about what I've done wrong. Yeah. Your observations so align with the science. The science shows, you know, you practice a little self-compassion like you did. Samuel, and you feel calmer, a little bit of oxytocin floats through your blood. (laughs) But really interestingly, and and most connected to what you're saying, is you ruminate less. You know, you kind of say, like, this is one test. Half the world's gotten a 67 on a calculus test. I've got all these other things going on. And so powerful, a benefit. So what's the final step in the practice? The final step is the next time that you're struggling with something, to try treating yourself like a good friend and just seeing what happens. And I have found since that day that I got that test back, I found like more than one opportunity to do that. It took a little longer because I wasn't, you know, in the mindset of like, let me treat myself like I treat a friend. But it's a little bit more habitual the more that you do it. What was the situation that came up? There was one call that I had scheduled that I just completely forgot about. It was scheduled for 4 p.m., 4 p.m. came and went. I was working (laughs) on something else. I did not see my phone. And it was just it was just too late. Like there was literally nothing I could do. So just walk us through, like, what would you say to a friend who might have missed that call and then how you would sort of take that language and apply it to yourself? I think the first thing I would ask is really simple. It's just like, why did you miss the call? And the answer to that would have been because I was working on something else. And so I think first and foremost, just like establishing that it wasn't like I intentionally ignored this thing or this commitment that I'd made. And then from there, I would say, well, okay, how long had you been working for? And for me, the answer was like, since school got out that day, and by extension, if I count school since like 9 a.m. that morning. And so I think I'm very much thinking of it as myself talking to a very particular friend right now. And like the next thing that I would say to that friend in particular is like, okay, think about how many things you've done this week. Because like a lot of my friends have a lot of commitments and we're all like really hard workers and we, we have a lot on our plate. And I, sometimes we have to be that reminder for each other of like, okay, look at all the things you do. Like it's okay. (laughs) And so I think that would be my next response is like, okay, well look at how much you've done this week. Yeah. And look how much you're still doing and look how much you still have left to do. You're a human being and it's okay that all of it didn't get done exactly perfectly the way that you wanted it to. You know, I just want to, in our last few minutes, I wanted to return to something you said earlier and just get your wisdom. 
you know, you talked about your generation being pretty stressed and the data bear that out. You know, stress has risen. You guys are working harder than I worked when I was your age, doing harder work than what I did at your age. Coming out of your life of poetry and the self-compassion exercise and your engagement in it, I mean, what's what do you think your generation needs to build? I think we need to be easier on ourselves. Yeah. I think right now a lot of what stresses me out and a lot of what I think stresses my peers out is this idea that, like, there's only one life track to success. Yeah. And there's only, like, this one definition of success. And that is, like, a prestigious university and then an immediate yeah. job outside of that. And that's it. And, like, one of the things that I've learned this year, I've gotten to meet, like, so many incredible people that work in so many different industries who all just have such untraditional life paths but are so happy Mm. and are doing, like, these jobs that they love that aren't jobs that necessarily have, like, clear-cut descriptions or aren't necessarily things that you'd see, like, at career day. And that... That has been like a super important perspective for me to have. But I think a lot of high school students don't get that. And so I just I just wish like a lot of kids my age would realize like you can be successful in so many more ways than just like this one this one life track that's decided by this this application that you submit when you're like 17 years old. Here, here. I hope my students are listening (laughs) right now. So powerful. Wow. Samuel, I wanted to thank you for your wisdom. I want to thank you for your extraordinary writing, and I want to thank you for being on our show today. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Teenagers today may be more stressed out than other generations, but they're not the only ones who could use some self-compassion. You can apply self-compassion to any realm of life where there's suffering or challenge, which means it's almost limitless. More on the science of self-compassion up next. Hiring the right team for your business can be a long and arduous process. With Indeed, there are no long-term contracts, you can pause your account at any time, and you only pay for what you need. Indeed.com is the hiring site that helps you find quality candidates with Indeed Instant Match. Indeed searches through the millions of resumes in their database to help show you great candidates instantly. Want your quality shortlist fast? You need Indeed. Right now, our listeners get a free $75 credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash happiness. This is Indeed's best offer available anywhere. Get a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash happiness. Indeed.com slash happiness. Offer valid through March 31st. Terms and conditions apply. We know from science that giving to others, especially those in need, can make us happier as a community. Unbound is an international nonprofit that partners with families living in extreme poverty, empowering them to become self-sufficient and fulfill their desired potential. When you sponsor a child, young adult, or elder through Unbound, you invest in personalized benefits that support goals chosen by the sponsored individual and their family. Unbound sends more than $100 million each year to support families in under-resourced countries. You can make a real and direct impact, offering hope, in the life of someone when they need it most. Partner with a new friend today at unbound.org slash happiness. When a close friend is really struggling, it's natural to support them and give them a broader perspective upon their lives. What's great about the how would you treat a friend practice is that we don't need to learn a new skill. We just have to be willing to use that skill we've already developed 
compassion for others, and then apply it to ourselves. People, I think, do kind of get a sense that they treat themselves and others differently. But when you really look at it with actual examples of what did I say to myself when this happened and what did I say to my good friend when that happened to him or her, people are really surprised. Kristen Neff is an associate professor at the University of Texas at Austin and a pioneer in self-compassion research. In her studies, she's had a number of people try self-compassion practices, including the how would you treat a friend practice. The reason we use the friend context is because most people, certainly by adulthood, they've learned how to be a good friend. They've learned how to be supportive toward their friends. They've learned you know, how to be present, to listen, but also to be encouraging and kind and warm and unconditionally accepting. Kristen's studies found that people who did these self-compassion practices felt a 43% increase in self-compassion. They felt more motivated to achieve their goals and less self-centered. Rather than being self-indulgent, they actually improved their coping skills and were better able to be resilient to stress. We also got increases in well-being, for instance, reductions in depression and anxiety and stress, increases in happiness and life satisfaction, and the tendency to avoid difficult emotions. And the really cool thing, I thought, is we measured them right after completing the program, two weeks afterward, and then again at six months, and then again one year after completion of the program, and all gains were maintained. No skills were lost. There are a few different ways to help ourselves be more self-compassionate, which is great because it often doesn't come naturally. In addition to thinking about how we treat a close friend, we can also think about how a friend or someone we really admire would treat us. The outcome is the same people have this resource of compassion in their back pocket, ready to pull out at any time a friend needs it. And so they just have to really remember that, oh, I can pull out this resource and I need it as well. I just have to remember to do so. If you'd like to try the How Would You Treat a Friend practice or other practices like it, Visit our Greater Good in Action website at ggia.berkeley.edu. Tell us how it went by emailing us at greater at berkeley.edu or using the hashtag happinesspod. I'm Dacker Keltner. Thanks for joining me on the Science of Happiness. Our podcast is a co-production of UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center and PRX. Our producer is Shuka Kalantari. Production assistance from Jenny Cataldo and Ben Manila of BMP Audio. Our associate producer is Annie Berman. Our executive producer is Jane Park. Our editor-in-chief is Jason Marsh. Special thanks goes to UC Berkeley's Graduate School of Journalism.